Good morning and uh, a very warm welcome from me as well, um, also to those that are joining us online and uh, what a fantastic time of worship. Um, God's been speaking to us this morning, he's uh, softening our hearts and uh, trust that uh, he's creating hearts that are fertile ground for his word this morning. And um, if you're new, as Mbunisi said, we are preaching through the book of Acts at the moment as a church and we're currently in Acts chapter 10 um, this morning uh, into part of Acts chapter 11, so if you want to look it up in your Bible app or your Bible, you can do that. And um, just to kick off, one of my one of my great heroes of the faith is a guy called Terry Virgo. Um, a lot of you will not know him, um, but I've had the privilege to to interact with him and to hear him speak on on very many occasions. Um, he's the guy that in the 1960s um, founded New Frontiers International, which is the the family of churches that uh, One Tribe is a part of. Um, and so he's a fairly old guy now. Um, him and Wendy just celebrated their 53rd wedding anniversary, and um, he wrote an autobiography um, which is called No Well Worn Paths, and it's. Uh, the story of his um, walk with God and his journey to establish New Testament churches. And uh, I just want to start this morning by reading um, a short quote from the preface to the book. Terry says the following, Jesus called himself the way and his early disciples were called followers of the way. They were on a journey, a pilgrimage of discovery and delight. There were no well-worn paths ahead of them, but the Holy Spirit was their guide. And the ancient scriptures now illuminated by the leadership and writings of the New Testament apostles and prophets who began to establish the new community, the church. And I've entitled my message this morning, um, No Well-Worn Paths, because I think it's a good description of what happens in the book of Acts. And it's also a good description of what we are called to as a church. And you see um, what happens in the book of Acts um, is the story of how the gospel spread from Jerusalem through Israel, throughout the Roman Empire, and all the way into, into Rome. And as it did... Um, it, it, it happened in many unexpected ways as, as the Holy Spirit led them. It wasn't like there was a, um, a, a well-established, um, proven path that they could take as, as the early disciples. Um, they had to blaze a new trail. And uh, in the beginning of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke records how Jesus prophesied that this would happen. And um, many commentators say that this, this verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is like the anchor verse of the whole book. And uh, Jesus says the following, But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as I've said, that's what we see playing out in the book of Acts. But when Jesus said this, he wasn't just speaking to the early disciples. He was speaking to all of his followers that were to come because the story didn't end with the book of Acts. That was just the beginning of the story. And so down through the centuries, the church has continued to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And uh, that's what shaped the formation of New Frontiers in the 1960s. And in 2021, that's our mandate too. And so that is why our, our vision tagline for this year is his story, our story, one story, because this is Jesus' story. He's the author of it all. It's been the story of the church throughout the centuries. And, and right now in 2021, it's our story. We are called to go with the gospel to the lost, to be his witnesses, guided by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we as a church have a vision to go to the unreached people groups of Kenya. It's why two weeks ago we were praying passionately for the Pashtun. It's why we're preaching through the book of Acts. We, this book is, uh, is, it shows us a church that is a model of um, a church on fire, a church that is, that is owning the great commission that Jesus gave us. It shows how believers that, um, that wholeheartedly follow Jesus, that love each other, 
that are filled with the Holy Spirit and are going to the lost and the needy can literally transform the world. And so we really want to be shaped by this. We want to be inspired and shaped and formed by the biblical model of what, what church is like. And, and that's not just an empty statement. We really mean it. I can honestly say that I am giving my life for this because we want to see authentic biblical Christianity that shines light in the darkness. We want the church to be a city on a hill that shines light to the whole um, of the surrounding area. And we want to do both what the early church did, but we also importantly want to do it how they did it. And so you'll notice in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus talks about both. The, the what is being witnesses in Jerusalem, that's right where we are, culturally the same. In Judea, that's nearby, culturally the same. In Samaria, which is nearby, but culturally different. And then to the ends of the earth, which is culturally different and, and far away. But we also want to do it how they did it. Jesus talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been tracking with us as we've been preaching through this book of Acts, um, you'll, it'll be very clear to you that this is, this is what's happening. Um, we see that the gospel started in Jerusalem. Um, as it's preached, many people get saved. And, and then persecution breaks out with, with, with the stoning of Stephen. And uh, the believers are scattered to Judea and Samaria. And they take the gospel with them. And we see Acts chapter 8. We see Philip in Samaria. We see Peter and John preaching in Samaritan villages. And people getting saved. The Ethiopian finance minister gets saved as a result of that. Acts chapter 9, we then see Peter, and he's in these Judean cities of, of Lydda and Joppa, and he's preaching the gospel, and um, people are being saved. And Acts chapter 9, it says the following, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And so they were being witnesses in this ever-expanding sphere of influence, just as Jesus said. But how? And I think uh, it's also fairly clear to us as we've walked through this, this, this book that it wasn't down to well-crafted strategies by the early church leaders. It wasn't because they had very effective marketing campaigns, because they were good on social media. It was none of that. It was very evidently the, the work of the Holy Spirit. It was something that, that God did. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people believe in Jesus. And um, the question is, how did, they, how did they gather together? Well, it was because the Holy Spirit came upon the early disciples. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the early disciples and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. It was the Holy Spirit that gathered them. After Peter and John were arrested for preaching Acts chapter 4 and they were threatened, don't preach the gospel anymore, the, the believers gathered together and pray. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. How did the Ethiopian finance minister get saved? Well, the Bible tells us the Spirit said to Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. And so we could tell many, many more stories, but, but time doesn't permit. But I, I think you get the point that the spread of the gospel through the early church was not through, to, through the, the well-laid plans of men. It was the Holy Spirit. It was a sovereign work of God. He did it. There were no well-worn paths ahead of them. But God led them. God orchestrated it uh, on this journey through the Holy Spirit. And so we come to Acts chapter 10 this morning. 
And uh, this is a, a significant moment in redemptive history as we see the spread of the gospel formally to the Gentiles. Up until now, it's, just, it's been the Jews that have been saved. But Acts chapter 10, we see the, the gospel breaking out and a Roman soldier and his family um, get saved. It's, an, it's, it's more of the same. It's, a, it's an adventure with God into unknown territory led by the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's, a, it's a long story. Um, so, you know, Acts chapter 10 through until Acts chapter 11. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to try and sum up the story for us. And, and so it's a story about Cornelius. Um, he's, a, he's a Roman centurion, as I said, and um, he's, he's a Gentile, not a Jew. Um, but he feared God as best he knew. He was searching for God. He prayed. He gave generously to the poor. Uh, and he walked in an upright way. And, and God sent a vision to him. And in the vision, he said, send for Peter, who's in Joppa, um, and he's got something important to say to you. And at about the same time, God also gave a vision to Peter, and the vision was of animals that the Jews would have considered unclean um, because of the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. And um, a voice from heaven said to Peter, rise and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, those are unclean. I'll I'll never do that. But then um, these decisive words come back in verse 15, "What what God has cleansed, you must not call common. In other words, with the coming of Jesus into the world and the final cleansing sacrifice of Christ, and also with the command to take the gospel to all ethnic groups now given, the old ceremonial laws of the Old Testament are lifted, and that barrier to the Gentile world is removed. Because for Jews, they would separate themselves from Gentiles because they didn't want to be defiled. They wouldn't even go into their houses because they didn't want to be tempted to eat the food which would defile them. And so Peter's vision has two points. One is that the food laws, like they need pork, for example, um, in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus, and that the people that they kept you separate from, the Gentiles, are not to be considered unclean or common. And God makes this very clear to Peter, um, because while he's still wondering about this vision, what does it mean, um, on his roof in Joppa, the three Gentiles that come, that were sent by Cornelius, arrive at his house, they knock at the door. Um, and the fact that verse 16 says that the vision um, about the, the unclean food comes three times to Peter, and the fact that these three Gentile men um, come is, 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 no, is no coincidence. Things tend to happen to Peter in threes, um, and, and this, is, this is no different. God was really making the point very clearly to him that um, these people that you formerly regarded as common and unclean, that you were separated in fellowship from that's to be no longer. You must, you must go with these men. And so Peter goes with them to Caesarea. Um, he, he, he meets Cornelius. Cornelius has gathered his whole household together. And um, Peter goes in and he preaches to them. And uh, they repent. The Holy Spirit falls on them. Um, and they are saved. And so yeah, as, we, as we get into it, let me, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is a, a lamp unto our feet. And Lord, this morning we want to submit ourselves to your word. We want to pray that it would shape us, that it would form us as a church, it would form us as individuals. Pray that you continue to speak to us this morning through your word, living and active. And we ask, Lord, that um, that you'd send the Holy Spirit amongst us. Holy Spirit, we, we welcome your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I've got just two points this morning. Um, The first is the importance of humility, and the second is the importance of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I've already started to tee up the second point, um, but I want to start with humility and then then cycle back to the Holy Spirit. So firstly, the, uh, the importance of humility. 
This story centers on, on two characters. It's Cornelius and Peter. And um, one is the, um, the recipient of the gospel. The other is the bringer of the gospel. And both have something important to teach us about humility. And the first is, is Cornelius. As I said, he was a Roman centurion. That means that he was in command of, of 100 men. Uh, and that was a really important position in Caesar's army. And, and so Cornelius would have commanded great respect and fear. And uh, this was brought home to me actually um, very recently, last, last weekend, I was, I was showing to Doug Muntz. Hey, Doug, uh, joining us online. And uh, Doug's just retired from um, the, the U.S. Navy um, after a distinguished career as a, as a Navy SEAL. He retired as a captain. Um, and he's now moved on to be athletics director at Roslyn Academy, so in, in an educational environment. So a big career change. And he was just reflecting on the very big difference in respect between um, being in the Army and, and being a school teacher. And uh, he said, when you're in the Army, um, we, he can walk into to any U.S. Um, base around the world, and he immediately gets respect because um, of his rank, because um, it's clear the tours that he's done, it's, it's clear that the kind of training he's received, and so there's, there's great respect that comes with the uniform and with the rank. And that would have been the same for Cornelius. He would have been a man of, of great authority. He would have been feared. Um, he had the authority to have you flogged, to have you killed, to have you imprisoned, to destroy your house. And often with such authority and power comes arrogance. But uh, Cornelius wasn't, um, wasn't the stereotype. He was a man who feared God. And uh, it said that he, he gave generously to the poor. He used the wealth and the position that he had got to, to benefit those that were needy. And actually, it says in verse 22 that he was respected by the Jews. He, he, he was really a great guy because being respected by the Jews wouldn't have been something common. The Romans were this occupying, oppressing power to the Jews, um, and yet he was respected. And so in a human legalistic way of thinking, if you were thinking, actually, you know, we can earn our salvation, then um, Cornelius would have been a good candidate to, to make it to heaven. Um, but Jesus didn't come to take people from, from good to great. He's not like the, the Jim Collins of the business world that's taking businesses from good to great. Jesus came to take us from death to life, as Mbonisi was, was just saying this morning. And so it's interesting that God chose this guy to be the headline story of the gospel coming to the Gentiles. And I think the reason is that God wanted to illustrate that no matter what your pedigree or qualifications, no matter how good you are, no matter what, what good works you do, that in order to come to Christ, you need to humbly acknowledge that you need to be rescued, that you're a sinner in need of God's grace, that you are dead and need to be made alive. And, um, and Peter himself and the other character in the story, um, he made that point very clear in the first letter he wrote. He wrote a letter to a number of churches. And in 1 Peter, he starts by saying this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so to become a Christian means to be born again, to be made spiritually alive from the dead, to become a brand new person. The old self dies, and the old self actually contributes nothing to our salvation. What we've done, our accomplishments, our position, our good works, they count absolutely nothing towards our salvation. The old self is worthless, it dies, and we, we trust completely in the finished work of Jesus on the cross to save us. And so Cornelius is um, teaching us that coming to Jesus, accepting the gospel requires humility. It means not relying on ourselves, anything that we've done, but acknowledging that we need a savior and fully and 100% relying on him. 
But as we come to the other character in the story, Peter, we get um, quite a different perspective. And so for Peter, um, Cornelius would not have been someone that he, in, from a human point of view, would have considered could be saved. Because number one, Cornelius was a Gentile, which means he was unclean, according to Jewish law. And that Jewish law kind of really made Jews generally um, full of cultural pride and prejudice, because they were the ones that had received God's law. They were the chosen people of God. And so they were different and other from, from the other nations. And so that kind of resulted in, in real pride as they looked down on, on, on other people and on the Gentiles. And secondly, Cornelius was a Roman soldier. And uh, it would still have been very fresh and raw for, um, for Peter, um, remembering the Roman soldiers that arrested Jesus, that flogged him, that insulted him, and that then brutally murdered him. And so while on a purely human level, Cornelius might have thought, actually, I'm, I'm quite well qualified to go to heaven, Peter would have been thinking exactly the opposite. Actually, this guy is not in any way qualified to be saved. So, so God needed to help Peter to fully understand the gospel, to, to, to really get it. And so, you know, we, we often say that the gospel is not the ABC of the Christian life, it's the A to Z. And we're always needing to, to understand fully the implications of the gospel. And so God had to convince Peter in a very dramatic way by giving him this vision where things happen three times. Um, then when the men came, the Holy Spirit had to tell him, you, you go with these guys. Um, and in, in verse 19, it says, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without, without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter then had to humbly accept that while he had his own cultural prejudices, that God shows no favoritism. And that because um, the gospel is by, by grace alone, that it's available to all, and no matter how unclean he might regard people to be, that Jesus died for them. He died to redeem a people and a bride from every tribe and nation and people group. Peter had to, to really swallow his cultural pride, and the, the pride that exalted himself and, and, and the Jewish nation above other nations, and accept that just as, as he was saved by grace alone, that God was also saving the, the Gentiles by grace alone. The gospel means that we all come to God absolutely equal. It doesn't matter what good we've done. It doesn't matter how badly we've messed up. The only thing that counts is putting our faith in Jesus, relying on him as our savior and as our hope. And that's really the, the meaning of grace. And uh, this has profound implications for us as well in 2021. Because in the world at the moment and throughout history, there is incredible racism. There's, there's cultural prejudice. There's cultural pride. Uh, I don't know if, you, um, if you're a football fan, you recently watched the Euros, um, you'll know that England played Italy in the final. Uh, it was a close game. It went to penalties in the end. Um, and England lost because they, they, their last three penalty takers all, all missed. Um, and so Italy won. And after that, there was this outpouring on social media of racism. And the reason was because the, it happened that the, the three that missed penalties were all black. And so in the UK, shamefully, there was just racial abuse that, that was just um, unbelievable on, on social media. I am a, a South African. Uh, I grew up in uh, the apartheid area in, in, in South Africa. Um, I finished school in 1994, which was the year that um, we first had democratic elections. And so I am a product of white privilege in South Africa. And uh, I'm very deeply aware of the, of the evil and the, the hurt and the pain that institutionalized racism in the form of apartheid created in our country. And uh, even now, we're 27 years after that 
you know, the, the end of apartheid and, and democracy. But even now, the, the nation is broken and uh, we're still trying to deal with the scars that, uh, that, that apartheid caused. In Kenya, um, you know, we have elections coming up next year. And uh, so, you know, at this time, it's, uh, tribal differences are, are highlighted as we, as we head into election season. And uh, it'll still be very fresh in most of our memories, the, the 2007 and 2008 post-election violence where, you know, tribal allegiance um, trumped all sorts of reason, trumped moralism. And uh, there was just this uh, outpouring of, um, of really um, tribal hate against those that are different from us. And if you're American, um, you'll be very aware of the deep-seated racial issues in your own nation. The, um, the police brutality, the killing of black people that has led to so many protests over the last years and the, the Black Lives Matters, Black, Life, black Lives Matter movement. So what should our response be to all of this? Well, brothers and sisters, the church should be at the forefront of the fight against racism. Of course, Black Lives Matter. And uh, the whole point of the story is that God was showing Peter that Gentile lives matter, that he shows no favoritism, that God loves all people, and that he's especially compassionate to those that are marginalized, that we're all made in the image of God, that we're all equal before him, that God is redeeming for himself a beautiful bride from every tribe. And we need to strongly affirm this. We need to take the lead in this. We need to be an example um, of inhumility, not exalting our own culture and, and tribe above those of others. And God has called us like Peter, like he called the early church, to inhumility, go to other tribes, go to them in love, and to, to, to bring them the truth of the gospel. And that's um, at the heart of why we called one tribe. We're a... We're a um, <coughs> A church from every tribe that's for every tribe because the gospel is for everyone and it's the gospel that makes us one. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so we need to take that message and uh, we, need to be, we need to be humble. We need to not um, have any racism or tribalism um, that exists amongst us. And actually, what we are called to is the opposite. We're called to deep love for those that are different from us. And we're called to, in humility, reach out to them. And so the, the main summary of this, this whole point on humility is that it requires humility to first accept the gospel as we acknowledge that we cannot contribute anything to it. We can't rely on ourselves, but only on Jesus. And it also creates, it also requires humility to live out the Christian life on the basis of, of understanding that what we've received was not due to our own doing, it's all because of Jesus. And so we are not better than anyone else. We all stand before God absolutely equal. And humility really is the posture of the Christian life. We say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Your power is perfected in my weakness. I must decrease, you must increase. And so humility is also required as we, and as a key as we, as we come to the topic of the Holy Spirit. In order to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we need humility. Because it requires humility to be led by the Holy Spirit, to follow, and to not proudly determine our own path. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God 
are sons of God. And so that brings me to my second point, which is the importance of the Holy Spirit. As you consider the story, one of the things that really strikes you is that um, Peter and the early church leaders, they didn't conjure up this plan. It wasn't um, their strategic direction. They didn't gather in a room and say, hey guys, we're doing well in Judea and Jerusalem. The church is growing. Jews are getting saved. But actually, the, the gospel needs to go further than this. It needs to go to the Gentiles. So um, you know, let's pick a city. Um, you know, I think Caesarea is a good one. Um, there's, there's quite a number of, of, of Gentiles there. And we need someone who's influential and prominent, um, maybe like a, a, a Roman centurion. Um, does anyone know a Roman centurion? No, it was nothing like that. It was 100% orchestrated by the Holy Spirit in a series of supernatural events. Because first we have Cornelius having this vision in which the angel speaks to him and tells him very detailed, sent, sent for Peter. The angel said the following, And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. So very detailed directions from the angel to, to go and get Peter. Then just as the delegation from Cornelius was arriving, Peter also has this vision. And, um, and then the Holy Spirit tells him very directly, you must go with these men. We read that verse just now. And then when Peter goes to Cornelius' house and preaches, he's actually interrupted in his message. In the middle of preaching, he's interrupted as the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the, the Gentiles there. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. And so we can't really overemphasize the role of the Holy Spirit in this story because it is so central. The gospel spreads to the Gentiles in a way that was not anticipated, that was not planned, and it was all orchestrated and directed by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a well-worn path um, for which there were directions. But that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. He said that there would be his witnesses further and further afield, guided by the Holy Spirit. And so what's the application for us as a church? The application is very simple. That if we want to do what we see the early church doing, we have to do it in the way that they did. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need more of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so how do we get more of the Holy Spirit? Well, just very simply, again, two things. If you're, if you're not yet baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you haven't had the experience of being filled with the power of God, then get baptized. This is such a foundational issue in every Christian's life that, that I can't really overemphasize it. And secondly, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then continue being filled. Paul in Ephesians 5.18, when, he, when he's speaking to the believers there, he, he say, and he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, the verb that he uses is present continuous. It means continue being filled. And so that's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. And, and because baptism in the Holy Spirit is such a foundational issue, um, I just want to spend a bit more time on it. You know, Jesus spoke a lot about it before he, um, he went to heaven because it was so important. And Bernice was quoting how he talked about, Jesus talked about streams of living water will flow from within you. Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And um, the early apostles, they were also really concerned about this. They, they made sure that as churches were planted, as believers were saved, that this was a foundation that was laid in those churches. They specifically went to ensure that that happened. And we see that example of that, Acts chapter 8. Philip preaches the gospel to the Samaritans. Many get saved. But then the apostles are, are, are saying, hey, did these guys get the Holy Spirit? And so they send Peter and John. And Peter and John go there and say, hey, guys, have you, have you had the Holy Spirit? And they, they hadn't. And so they, they prayed for them and they baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
They wanted to, to lay that foundation. And so as, for us as a church, this is foundational, and we need to, um, to make sure that we are prioritizing this. And so um, just want to spend a few moments talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit, which, as I've said, is this experience of being filled with the power of God, of receiving spiritual gifts. And um, the word for baptism that, that's used is the same word that's used for water baptism. It means um, to drench, like that, that verse in, in the Old Testament that Belinda was reading this morning. It means to soak. It means to be overwhelmed. And so baptism in the Holy Spirit is this, this powerful, often overwhelming experience of, of being filled um, with the presence of God. And it's an experience which is distinct theologically from salvation that can happen at about the same time that you get saved um, or at a later time. Some would say it's, it's just automatic at, at conversion. And in this story, we see the Holy Spirit is poured out at the same time um, on, on the Gentiles as, as they are saved. But in all the other accounts in the book of Acts that we see, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling of the Holy Spirit happens at a, at a later point um, in believers' lives. And we, there's, there's lots of stories. I'll just maybe give you the, the accounts of the ones we've already preached through in, in this book. So um, in, in the Acts chapter 2, the, um, the day of Pentecost, the early believers are baptized in the, in the Holy Spirit, and they were already believers in Jesus. So this was an event that happened later for them. I've already talked about the Samaritan believers where the apostles had to go after they'd been saved and, and pray for them for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Paul himself, um, he was saved on the road to Damascus as he, as he encountered the, the, the risen Lord Jesus. And it was only a few days later in, an, in Ananias' home where Ananias prayed for him and he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so it typically happens um, at, a, at a later point in our lives. But I think it's also important to say that we can't ascribe formulas to the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus put it in a picture, and he compared um, the freedom of the Spirit to the freedom of the wind. Jesus, um, in, in John 3, 8, says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is as free as the wind. You can't see him. You can't control him. Suddenly, he is around you and he's in you. You can't make him come any more than you can control the wind because he is free. And so sometimes people do receive baptism of the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation. But very often it's, it's, a, it's later, but it's always a distinct, um, powerful experience of the presence of God. And because it's an experience, it's something that you can point to, something that you, you know happened to you at a particular point in time. And um, I think very important to say is that the Holy Spirit is for all of us. It wasn't always like that. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was just poured out on particular people at particular times, particular tasks. But uh, the Old Testament prophets were looking forward always to a time when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on everyone. And so Joel, um, in his famous prophecy, Joel chapter 2, he talks about, and afterward, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. And um, then as we come to the New Testament, um, John the Baptist starts to speak about the promise of the Holy Spirit being fulfilled. Jesus, as I said, starts to, to speak about this promise being fulfilled. And on the day of Pentecost, it's, it's, it's when it happens, Holy Spirit is poured out on the early believers. And um, Peter gets up and uh, he explains what's happening. He quotes uh, this prophecy from Joel. And, uh, and then he tells those that have just been saved that they can also be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, the promise is for you and for your children, 
for all who are far off, for everyone whom our Lord God will call. And so the, the important thing to say this morning is that the Holy Spirit is for you, and it's something that you should eagerly expect, something that you should, um, should really um, seek God for. And uh, it's not something that requires a certain level of maturity, that you kind of reached a certain level, because it's a gift. It's not given based on performance. It's, it's, it's a gift that's given by our Father. And uh, it's such an important foundation because, as we've seen, the power of the Holy Spirit is so central to what God has called us to. And uh, throughout church history, the Holy Spirit has been baptizing people, filling them with power. And so I just want to give you a few examples um, as encouragement. The first one um, is, is a, a, another hero of mine, and you also may not have heard of him, so maybe I have strange heroes. But um, his name is D.L. Moody. He's an American evangelist um, who, who was born in 1837, and, and God used him in incredibly powerful ways. He didn't have any, any higher education, but he founded three schools. He didn't have any theological qualifications, but he really reshaped Victorian Christianity. And without radio and television, he reached 100 million people. And um, his story of, um, of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is that initially he was resistant, but there were um, some women in his church who said, Moody, we are praying for you for baptism in the Holy Spirit. And um, he grappled with this for a while and then actually came to the conclusion that actually this is something for me. God wants to fill me with his Holy Spirit. And so began praying for it. And his testimony, um, which is in, uh, in a book called The, 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 the Life of D.L. Moody, um, he was in New York one day and he says, oh, oh, what a day. Um, and he describes um, it was a, as a sacred experience. He said, God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. And so for D.L. Moody, this was a transformational experience in his life as he received baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's very similar to what we see in the book of Acts because um, there's this transformation of the early disciples from pre-baptism in the Holy Spirit to, to, to afterwards. You know, take Peter as an example. Um, you know, he abandoned Jesus even though he promised he wouldn't when Jesus was arrested. He then denied Jesus three times. And uh, after, after Jesus ascended to heaven, you know, the, the disciples weren't very bold. They were cowering away. Way in the upper room, you know, frightened and afraid. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out, and, and Peter is like a different guy. He gets up, he's bold, he preaches to 3,000. God's on him, and, and, and many are saved. And Peter would go on to, to be martyred, to give his life um, for Jesus. And so there's this uh, amazing transformation that happens as power from above, as Jesus promised, comes on us. I also just want to say that. Um, Embracing the work of the Holy Spirit is very much within our DNA. You know, I talked about Terry Virgo and the foundation of New Frontiers. This movement was, was started in the 1960s in the UK during the charismatic renewal. People were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. There was, there was new life and experience. And the traditional churches of the time, they didn't really know how to handle this. And so Terry Virgo and other leaders at the time started to create new house churches where this, this new life of the Holy Spirit could be free. And um, from that grew a family of churches that is grounded in the Word, but also full of the Holy Spirit with a, with a mission to, to go and to plant churches and to 
to make disciples. And so as a result, there are churches like One Tribe all around the world with the same DNA. And this is my own, this is also my own personal testimony. Um, I was saved when I was four years old. Um, I was responding to, to my dad's preaching um, one Sunday and um, so I became a follower of Jesus. I loved Jesus. But as I grew up, I was fairly shy um, as a kid. And I would also say I was pretty insecure. And, um, and then later on, I was, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I received the gift of tongues. And um, especially a significant period of time was when I was at university in Cape Town. And uh, during that time, I, I joined a church called Jubilee, which uh, is, is part of the same family of churches. And there was really just a powerful move of God's Spirit at that time um, in, in the middle 1990s. And we used to have these, these long prayer meetings and worship services. And on a Sunday, God's power would just come, God's, God's presence. And that really, it transformed me. It gave me a new boldness and, and courage. And God totally sorted out the insecurity in my life. You know, if, if people that know me now know that I actually really don't care what people think of me. God, God removed that, you know, it took me from being very insecure to being very secure that it's by his grace that he's made me who he has made me. And so, brothers and sisters, we need more of the Holy Spirit. God is calling us to go and make disciples and be his witnesses here in Nairobi, in Kenya, and to the ends of the earth. But to do that, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to take paths that are not well-worn. And um, as I was growing up, um, one of my favorite songs was um, The Great Adventure by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, in the 80s and 90s, there wasn't a great lot of um, really quality Christian music, but Stephen Curtis Chapman uh, was one of the good ones. And, and I don't know if anyone knows Stephen Curtis Chapman. Okay, more than I thought. Great. And uh, so, um, yeah, this, this song, Great Adventure, we, and I just want to read you the chorus um, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sing it. Um, just, just spare you the pain uh, and me the embarrassment. No, I refuse. Okay. So God's given has not given me um, uh, the gift of a, of a good voice. Uh, I will spare you. So the chorus goes like this: Saddle up your horses. We've got a trail to blaze through the wild blue yonder of God's amazing grace. Let's follow our leader into the glorious unknown. This is a life like no other.